Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, I have John Goldman, the CEO of Turning Point, joining me today. John, welcome to the program. Thanks, Umar. I'm really excited to be with you today. So, John, you had uh, your business here in good old Baltimore, the center of the universe, and you <laughs> moved it uh, to Israel. Tell me what prompted the move. So, we're not just in Israel. We're actually international. Um, you know, I have traveled all – I spent time traveling all around the world – <laughs> and in my travels, ultimately, I ended up in Israel. I traveled around Europe, and I had a one-way ticket around the world. And while I was in Europe, I, um, I guess you have to understand what prompted the whole thing was when I was in college, some people were brought up to maybe be doctors or lawyers, and I was brought up somehow to be in marketing and or business by my dad and by my training. And so after I graduated college, um, I was ready to start looking around. During college, I had the world's largest student-run advertising and public relations agency, and I was recognized by Harvard Business School for creating such an agency. And I had all sorts of offers to work um, in agencies afterwards. But then after that, it was like, you know what? Let me go explore the world a bit. So what I did is I started traveling around the world, and I was a card-carrying hedonist, <laughs> which I'm not anymore, I hope. And um, as I was traveling... So I ended up doing all sorts of experimentation of things and ended up in a Christian monastery and then in a Buddhist monastery. Then I lived in a cave and then I stopped speaking for one week. That's the last time I did that. <laughs> and I stopped eating for one week and I drank water and then I stopped moving for a week and I lived blindfolded in the forest. And then ultimately, um, I made my way on my journey around the world and ended up in Israel and felt a connection to the place. I find it to be one of the few what we call thrive zones in the world. We've identified just a few thrive zones where people are absolutely thriving economically, physically, emotionally, and um, it's an amazing place. So we set up an office and a home in Israel as well as in America. So that's kind of what got me here. So John, I, I read the book, uh, Startup Nation. Have you come across it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what's going on here is that there's more startup per capita in Israel than anywhere in the world, meaning more than the United States, more than Canada, more than Germany and Japan or China, which is crazy. So, you know, being intimately familiar with uh, folks in Baltimore, the US and Israel. So what's the distinction? What are you finding different there in terms of the vibe and energy and desire to be entrepreneurial? Um, you know, I think that what's important is that people, regardless of where they are, they ask the big question, what's this about? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And during my travels, I found that that question is asked a lot here. Like, what am I doing and why am I here? Because it's not an easy place to be. But sometimes we look at um, we look at resistance as something that we don't want. But the truth is, resistance is what makes it so much stronger and so much better if the fight's worth fighting for. And so what I found here is that due to the 
intensity of the challenge of making the desert come alive and blossom when it hasn't blossomed for a couple thousand years and when the people the countries around them all want to wipe them out and when it, the entire country is about the size of even smaller than new jersey but there's more reporters per square foot than anywhere in the world. So that sense of why, which is some of the things I, I want to talk about, is being driven by a very clear purpose. If you own a business and if you're trying to drive your business, that sense of because is something I really want to talk about. We're going to get to soon and remind me to come back to because because it's a <laughs> because it's a fundamental process. So we've worked together in the past. I've worked for you for some of your clients. And one of the things that you were doing when we knew each other was companies would come in that uh, had a successful company that may have been, uh, uh, you know, at a plateau and you got them to see an insight or develop a strategy that allowed them to radically grow their business. Can you tell me about one of those experiences, a company that came in uh, how you got the insight and what the results were. Absolutely. Um, let's start off with how I blended the business and the personal. So we spoke a little about the personal. On the business side, you know, you know, I used to own and be a partner in Goldman Promotions. We were the 25th largest promotion company in North America out of about over, uh, I guess, maybe 25,000. Uh, we're probably about the 27th largest, doing over 35 million a year, had eight offices and 150, 170 employees. And um, I sold out. During that process, I learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. And, and my next iteration was the company you're talking about, which is Turning Point and also Brand Launcher. And I kept one of my marketing companies, which is called Lumpy Mail, Flat Mail, Flat Response, Add a Lump and Get a Bump in Response. So um, that company I actually sold not long ago. And I focus on Turning Point because I believe that it's important for everybody who runs a business to have a one-page life plan and focus on what matters most. And I have an ardent belief that when you're clear about what matters most and you can focus on that and be in your zone, in what we call your thrive zone, then the results are amazing internally and externally. So that's the framework to hopefully answer the question that you asked me. And you asked me for one example. I'll give you an example, Daniel Eli. So Daniel Eli is a really interesting guy. Um, I'll give you a quick before and after. The couple things I wanted to talk about to share with our listeners is two, two concepts. Number one is something we'll call upward jumping monkeys. And number two is thriving. So... Did you say upward jump monkeys? <laughs> yes, upward jumping monkeys. It's going to be the heart and heart and soul of the conversation I would like to have with you today. Go for it. <laughs> so what is an upward jumping monkey? An upward jumping monkey has two components, the external upward jumping monkeys and internal upward jumping monkeys. And we want to talk about the care and the feeding of upper jumping monkeys. I'll give you a classic example of an external upper jumping monkey. Um, is that let's say that you own a business and you have employees who work for you. Many people suffer from upper jumping monkeys. And why they suffer? Because their real goal is to increase what we call asset ability. Asset ability. Asset ability is the ability to actually grow your business and create an asset as opposed to a glorified job. So if that's the game, so the goal is not just to work on the business, but to be able to work in the business and create an asset that you could step back or step out of or sell. 
And so Daniel um, suffered from upper jumping monkeys in a huge way. Daniel owned a company called Prepaid Experts, and it was a, a cell phone company. Um, he is brilliant, and he suffered from upper jumping monkeys that we discovered how and why. When we started doing a process flow map, which is one of the things that we do, is we kind of look at how are decisions made, and what's your role, and are you living in what we call your greatest habit, H-A-B-U-T. Habit stands for the highest and best use of your time. Um, when a person is clear about their habit, their highest and best use of their time, then they can manage their internal and extra, external upper jumping monkeys. So here's what happened. Um, he was not in his habit, which his greatest habit is to be able to make deals, work in the company, work on the company strategically. Um, and he, he was really good at seeing market and these sorts of things. But he spent a lot of time in the weeds. And if you're listening to this, and if you own a company or running a company, for sure, you're also going to feel that as well. So therefore, what happened? We looked at what happening was that all decisions, big decisions, ultimately reported back to him. And um, two of his managers, one we'll call, uh, one we'll call Rue, and the other one we'll call MR, and another guy called Isaac, a lot of decisions end up coming back to him. And we realized, wow, you're actually the greatest light and the greatest shadow. You're the greatest asset and the greatest bottleneck. And what we're going to talk about today, Umar, is how to identify your greatest habit, the highest and best use of your time, play to your strengths, compensate for your weaknesses, and then thrive. One of the first things is being really honest about what's going on. And so we did an assessment. We have an assessment online that anyone who's listening can get, which is getmythrivescore.com, getmythrivescore.com. And from there. And we'll put that in the uh, timeline uh, description, Fantastic. a link to it. And so on that, um, on that assessment helps you assess where you're thriving, where you're not. And so Daniel started to notice that, wow, he is actually, um, he's actually an asset and a bottleneck. And once we start identifying the bottleneck, he, we identified something that might be a little bit uh, challenging for many of us is the fact that, you know, many of us identify that we're really good at something, and that's the light shadow thing. If you're in business, most likely you have a tremendous light. And that means you're really good at some things. And if you're really good at one thing, you're probably really lousy at another. And he was really good at big picture, and his great strength was not managing all the people. And so many times what happens is we are uber responsible. Every business owner I've met is uber responsible. That's their great light. They're professional, they're responsible, they're responsive. And now what happens when you're like that? You suffer from upward jumping monkeys. Someone walks into your office and like, hey, Umar, I got this problem. We have a client over here. They're having a problem with the shipment or we got a billing issue or we have a production issue. And you're like, oh, okay. Internally, you're thinking, okay, look, I'm really good at this. I'm really responsible. Um, let me try to help them out. <laughs> so you've just identified an upward jumping monkey. And so therefore, you got to ask yourself, okay, what do I do now? Most people make the mistake. What do you think most people do, Umar, when they see an upward jumping monkey? They, they grab it. <laughs> they gra First of all, if they're lucky enough, they're aware Next is they think, oh, what I need is monkey repellent. And they take their spray can and like, no, get away from me. You go deal with it yourself. Um, or they're like, oh, I've been burned so many times. And I've, 
I've had the pleasure and the privilege of working and mentoring thousands of uh, entrepreneurs and owners, literally, and salespeople. And what I found is that so many of them are so prepared and willing to actually do it themselves so they get stuck in it. And so now this upper jumping monkey jumps off their, their employee's back and jumps right on their back and like, oh, yeah, I can help you because their inner game is off. They forgot the first principle that we said, the purpose of business is to build an asset, increase asset ability and thrive. And so what you're actually doing is you're hurting them and you're hurting you. Tell me if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And uh, so some people have this uh, belief that, you know, if you want it done right, right. do it yourself. <laughs> so how do you get yeah. owners to change that if that's like ingrained at the unconscious Fantastic. level? Really great question. So let's go back to our upper jumping monkeys. So we had this guy comes up and says, I got a problem with the client. And Daniel or me is the owner is thinking, okay, I can help you with that. So one, I've either been burned before, I could do it better than anyone else. And number two, so I'm thinking I need a monkey repellent, but I'm going to tell you the, what I actually think the secret is. The secret is what you need instead is a mirror. What do I mean? A mirror. So goes the company. I'm sorry, so goes the leader, so goes the company. Wherever the leader is strong, the company will be strong. Wherever the leader is weak, the company will be weak. When you have a guy who's a fantastic engineer, the company is going to be great in engineering and lousy in emotional intuitiveness and reading clients. When you have a guy who's a fantastic salesman right. and he's really strong there, but he's really not so organized. So the company is going to be really strong in sales and reading people and lousy in process and fulfillment. So the first thing is, is to take a mirror and say, oh, what am I doing here? And what we realize is a couple of big mistakes. And maybe I can share with you a few of the big mistakes and how to overcome them to answer your question. What do we do instead of doing it myself? Yeah. Of course, that's a big struggle for a lot okay. of owners. So the first piece is, and by the way, the only reason why I can say this, Umar, uh, maybe I'm embarrassed to say it, but I have screwed up so many times. I have made so many mistakes and I am a wounded healer. That means that if you're an alcoholic, you want to help other alcoholics. If you are a someone who like um, Candy, uh, what's her name? Um, she's the, her son got killed by a drunk driver. So can't, um, yeah, so she's a wounded healer. So I too am a wounded healer. I too am passionate about freedom teams and freedom systems because I have and still suffer when I'm not conscious of some of the following problems I'll share with you. So it's not... Actually, that's a label people have given me too, <laughs> wounded healer. So this is not about I'm up here and you're down there, oh dear listener. It's about, you know, we're on this journey together. And I'm going to share with you the... Um, share with you some of the struggles and some of the challenges and how to overcome them. So the first piece is internal. Let's talk about the internal upper jumping monkeys before we deal with the external upper jumping monkeys. Internal upper jumping monkeys <clears throat> come from our, the lower part of our psyche. And it's where, uh, you know, you're familiar with the hand model of what's in a reptilian brain. A reptilian brain is that part of our cortex that the, the part of our brain that's kind of by the spinal by the spinal cord, where it's where you're a reptile, you have a stimulus and response. Someone says to you, um, they cut you off, and you're like, "Oh, stimulus response, bang! Let me punch you." So, um, response. Um, when you grow, you actually can put some space in it. 
in between the stimulus and response. Next time someone cuts you off, it's like, oh, okay, I wonder what's going on for that person, as opposed to doing something nastier, responding. So the first thing that happens with upper jumping monkeys is realizing that there's a stimulus response. Someone's coming in and my gut reaction is like, oh, my ego is my amigo. I'm smart. I'm responsible. So just to put some science behind it, I think they've measured it at uh, the amygdala gets triggered in five milliseconds. And if you go to the hippocampus, we have some reasoning and thought that's a 500 millisecond route. So the initial response is lightning fast. And the question is, how do you catch it? So um, what what we need to do is, first of all, have a mirror, so to speak, and raise your awareness and see when you start doing things that are not in your greatest habit. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how to identify your greatest habit. And if you recognize an upper jumping monkey, so the first thing is inner upper jumping monkeys. And the next is um, external upper jumping monkeys. So internally, so, oh, this is ego-driven. Hmm, isn't that interesting? It's, it's the reptilian response of like, oh, I, I, I could do this. And so that's the next thing. The second thing is giving too much value. So giving too much value means that because my ego is my amigo and I know so much, I'm going to try to provide value. And sometimes so many of us, at least the people I work with, they are smart, talented, insightful, successful, and wherever they go, they want to add value. And you know what? Sometimes, dude, don't add value. Help me instead. So that's the next piece. And I want to give you... A couple more, but do you have any questions before I continue on? Okay. No, um, please so go on. Now that we're starting to realize that, oh yeah, what this is really about is empowering other people. And so therefore, I've got to get my brain out of the sense that I can do it all, I need to do it all. And instead, I want to actually build what we're going to call a freedom team and a freedom system. And so I want to give you a little bit of the science of um, where upper jumping monkeys come from on the external side. Number one is you actually created something called learned helplessness. So I'm sure you know the science between learned helplessness that Martin Seligman did a very famous experiment with dogs that today would probably be against the law to do because what he did in the 1970s was he would put a dog in on one side of a, of a cage and then have a small, tiny little hurdle uh, so they could jump over and go onto the other side of the cage. On one side of the cage, they would have shocks that would go on the floor. And if the dog was able to, they would just jump over it and they'd get out of it. And so it turns out that nearly 90% of the dogs would jump out when they were shocked and go to the side where they're safe. Then, um, but the other, there's another group, unfortunately, they were given shocks and they couldn't go anywhere. So... Then what happened was these animals started, this is where we get the concept of learned helplessness. Learned helplessness means that now when the shock comes, those animals that learned before that they couldn't jump anywhere, they didn't do anything. And so those animals that knew that they could jump out, they would jump out. And so what's happening here from a upward jumping monkey uh, uh, process is that you've trained your employees of learned helplessness. They walk into your office and say, look, Umar, I've got an issue. I need your help. And you're like, oh, great, I can help you. And so therefore, um, they're like, okay, good. I've now learned helplessness that I can't do this. That's the first thing to recognize. So uh, just adding to that, like sometimes uh, 
that happens. But do you think sometimes they go, okay, this is what's expected of me is that the boss wants this, even though the boss didn't actually say that, that they've set the norm and sometimes this helplessness. And sometimes I can't make a decision without him because he wants to be involved in everything, even though that wasn't um, uh, the boss's intent. I think intent. it's totally right what you're saying. And so therefore the upward jumping monkey internally there is that he's actually shooting everybody because he's like, oh, I'm like the genius with a thousand helpers and it's all about me, but it's not. It's not all about you. I've never met an entrepreneur who's a leader of a company that gets it all done himself. If you want to do that, be a solopreneur and do it yourself. That's not my business. I work with people that want to build an asset. And the only way to do that is to build a freedom team and a freedom system. In order to do that, you actually really, honestly, actually have to believe in people. And so I'm going to come back to Daniel Eli in a minute. And I just want to give you a little bit more science because I know that you're a science guy um, about how this actually has come about and then how we're going to deal with this. So the first thing that we said, why it happens is because you've actually created learned helplessness in your employees. And so therefore you haven't instead empowered them. And I'm going to share with you a technique, um, something that we have that we created called a coaching card, which instead you become a coach instead of a cop and you become a leader instead of a doer. So we'll come back to the coaching card if you can remember to ask me. And we're going to stay with Daniel Eli. And I'm going to share with you one more piece of science, if you're okay for it, about why we actually do it. So this next piece of science yes. is coming comes from a Greek myth. And it's called the Pygmalion effect. So Pygmalion effect was a very... Yes, my fair lady. Yes, and it comes from the Greek myth, which is a guy loved this. He, he loved this statue that he made so much that she came, comes to life. So in other words, what we believe in starts to come to life. So that means that if we think that our workers are jerks, they're jerks. If we think they're amazing, they are amazing. I need to repeat that because most people don't really believe what I just said. In other words, if you see the world as a negative fight, you'll experience the world as negative fight. If you experience the world with scarcity, you will experience scarcity. If you experience and understand your workers to be not good enough, you will have workers who are not good enough. It starts internally. And I think uh, the Talmud put it uh, nicely. We do not see the universe as right. it is. We <laughs> right. see it as we are. Um, right. So based on this, based on what you're saying in the Talmud, um, there is a insight that was a research that was done by Dove Eden. And also, um, so what he did was, you know, I had this connection to Israel. So they assessed Israeli army so, um, generals and commanders. And they said, before these, we'll call them employees, before these soldiers come in, there's three groups. Those that were predicted to be really successful, we'll call them the high perform, the high, high potential. Those that are, they're normal. And those that we don't know if they're good or they're not good. So, um, and however, um, and what we're going to do, so you're ready, is we're going to, we'll tell you who they are. And it's based on a very famous science experiments as well um, that happened in a school where they told the teachers about the children. They said, which students are going to be really smart, which students are really stupid. This one was done in the Israeli army. And so what I want you to do is I want you to learn their names by heart and their scores by heart. So you know who are the champions and who are the losers. And so sure enough, what happened was those that predicted high those are predicted to perform much higher than everybody else. Guess what? After the course, their performance way outperformed everybody else. Those that were normal, those had the lowest scores. And those that they didn't actually know, those were actually in the middle. Meaning that if I thought you were going to be a champion, you're a champion. Thought you were a loser, you were a loser. But the truth is, none of that was true. 
<laughs> it was all made up. And so, in fact, what we learn is that people yeah. rise to what we believe in them. And so tell me if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, expectations uh, are a powerful right. uh, So we're applying this specifically tool. now to growing a business, upper jumping monkeys, increasing your sales, and thriving more so you can build an asset and we're going to call a freedom team and a freedom system. And what we said so far was that in order to do this, we have internal upper jumping monkeys and external upper jumping monkeys. And we spoke a little bit about how being the fact that we're uber responsible, that becomes in our way. Our ego gets in our way. And we try to give too much value, it gets in our way. And so the other side is that we've actually taught others that they can't do this. You need to depend on me. We spoke about these, how these dogs learned that, oh, you're helpless and you can't, I've already taught you that if you have a problem, you come to me. And then we also spoke about you're going to perform exactly the way that I see you and nothing more. And I'll give one more piece of science and then we're going to go jump into it. Should I give one more piece of science or jump into it? Okay. So the jump into um, it. And if you're interested later, it's about the elephants. Uh, essentially, elephants, um, elephants are very powerful, but they don't uh, realize how powerful they are. Okay. So um, here's what happened with Daniel, Eli, and here's what can happen with you. Here are some ways now to start changing the game of managing what I'll call the care and the feeding of upper jumping monkeys internally and externally. So the first thing is, is to understand your goal. If you want to have more control and if you want to have more influence, the person who gives up control actually has more power and influence than the one that maintains control. I'm going to say that again. Dave Marquette said in a beautiful way, he wrote a book called Turn That Ship Around. And he took the Santa Fe, which was the worst performing vessel in the United States Navy, and it became the best. And one of the things that he says in a very eloquent way is that the only way to increase your influence is by giving up control. But here's the catch, Omar. You are a fool if you give up control without increasing competency. In other words, if you give up control, that's called dump and run. Right. And I know that because I am a victim of dump and run. Not a victim, I'm a, per I'm a perpetrator of dump and run. I've had so many assistants and so many businesses over the past where I like, you know, I don't like doing it. Let me just dump and run. And then what happened? I'm so frustrated. They're such idiots. They didn't do what I was expecting because uh, I didn't go through the following process of showing them exactly what needs to happen. I, would, I saw myself as a cop instead of a coach. I didn't believe in them and I didn't increase competency first. And I didn't focus on my greatest habit, the highest and best use of my time, and then go through the important and step-by-step -step process of identifying those things which are not my greatest habit, the highest and best use of my time, and then train other people how to do them. So with Daniel, what we did was that we said, okay, here's your habit. Anything that's not, let's, let's move that on. So the first thing I did was we said, okay, we need, a, we need an agreement. And I actually made him sign a contract. And I'll read from you to the contract. I, Daniel Eli, do hereby pledge that I will allocate one day each week to the company's mission for continuous improvement and two days actively performing the duties of the marketing research and development director. I further agree to this while I continue to perform my normal duties to the best of my abilities. And he signed it. And then we also started some job contracts and agreements of what other people are responsible for. Now, some amazing things started to happen for him in particular.
One is he got to focus on the highest and best use of his time. Number two, they no longer felt a sense of learned helplessness. Number three, he moved into more of a coach as opposed to a cop. And number four, he stopped being the bottleneck and started being a asset. And he started to play to his light and compensate for his shadow, which is the whole goal. Most of us get stuck in cop and coach. And so what were the results of such a thing? His sales increased nearly 10 times. That, so his sales ended up of over $100 million. The reduction of the dependence on him reduced nearly 90%. And he was able to take off four months, <laughs> four months from his business. And the company basically ran by itself. And we increased the asset ability to sell the company. I believe in increasing asset ability, whether you sell or whether you keep an asset, you shall reap. So we increased the asset ability of the company nearly 20 times. And I'm happy to say that he ended up actually selling the company for, let's just say, a lot of money so that he doesn't have to work anymore. And now he's able to spend his time. He does charity work and he manages his investments and he does tons of volunteer work. And he, now he has the freedom to do what matters most to him in his life. Where did that come from? That came from managing and identifying the internal upper jumping monkeys the external jumper jumping monkeys, helping identify um, what his greatest habit is, the highest and best use of his time, giving up some control and increasing the competency of those that were around him. And um, I'll take a pause for a moment and give you a chance to um, ask any questions because I need to share with you one of the most important things was I told you that he signed an agreement. And the next thing I really want to talk about is accountability and the sword of accountability. So the question I have for you, John, is this, is that uh, your best guess, if we had uh, 10 CEOs that listen to this podcast and go, oh my God, this is exactly what I need. They come to you uh, or someone else develop those mechanisms in place, what percentage of those CEOs, even though they desperately want it, would not want to give up uh, that old lifestyle of being center of attention, uh, needed, yeah, wanted? Uh, does that question make sense? Like sometimes you want something, but we have these hidden uh, highs right. in the so old way that uh, keeps is, us relevant. Okay, John, this makes sense. And some people could do it. But can most people do it? And can I do it? If I'm listening to this, I'd want to know, like, can I do it? That's the real question I want to ask. And so in my experience is that some will, some won't. So what? Next. Great way to live your life. Some, is going to, some people are going to rise to it. Some won't. So what? Next. I'm like, like that guy walking down the beach. The guy walking down the beach, you know, what he's doing, he's throwing starfish into the ocean. And this kid walks up and said, Mister, why are you doing that? Look at all these thousands of starfish. You can't possibly save them all. And the guy says back to him, you know what? That's true. I don't need to. But I can save this one and that one. And these people are the ones that can make a difference in their life. And so some people listening today, they're going to be prepared and willing to do it. And some aren't. And that's okay. And yeah. So, so look at the question the other way around, though. That... Some of the people uh, want the nirvana, 
but something within them stops them. So kind of what you read on that before we move on, like give me like your 30 second, one minute. Because uh, a lot of times business people, human beings struggle with, you know, uh, I want X, but they cling on and they hold on as if their life depends on it to the old way. So, so what's that angst and what prevents people from making that, that jump? I'm not sure if I'm totally qualified to answer. And I still, I'll share with you my personal approach to it. I've developed a program called the 10 Gates of Unstucking. And I know that you once said, hey, I want to buy that domain for you. I wish we'd do that. Um, it's a very, very deep program. And the first step of getting unstuck is identifying what's working, what way of being is not working for you, and what's not. And the thing that's also really important to know is that as we, we all have to get clear on where the pain and where the problem is and also what the promise of a better future is. And I think the mistake a lot of people might make, and I don't know because we're all different, but a lot of mistakes that a lot of us make is that what got me here won't get me there. In other words, the, the mistake that we make is those voices that have been really helpful in the past that have protected me, I don't need to, I, I don't, I really should not be disrespecting them. And I need to learn how to have a conversation with those lower voices, those, if you will, the reptilian voices that know no difference between the a stimulus and response. That like, it's about my ego. It's about protection. I need food, shelter. I need, just like the Maslow's hierarchy would say, first, I have to make sure I've got enough money. I need to make sure that um, I'm respected. I need to make sure I'm loved. So those voices are very good voices. And if you tell a person you have to get rid of them, they're going to resist it. But if you share with the person, hey, you know what? I got those voices too. And not, to, not only do I have those voices, you have them. And we don't need to throw them out. But what we do need to do is manage them. And that voice that has tried to help you make sure that you put enough food on the table, that's not a bad voice. It's a voice that's part of us. And we need to learn to negotiate with it and say, hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm going to work hard today. And we, you and I also agree that the most important thing that matters in our life is my wife and my children. And so let's agree on a time to stop. And when we come back at that time, we're gonna, you're going to want to say, well, let's keep going. And you know what? I hear you. And I'll tell you what, if it really hurts us, to, I'll make a list at the end of the day and I'll come back and we'll deal with it tomorrow. What I'm sharing with you is a very deep way of acknowledging those things that have been very helpful that helped us get there that need to be respected and acknowledged and managed as opposed to killed. Right. Okay, great. So cool. Thank you for that, John. That really helps. Daniel and another fellow, I'm just going to make up his name. We'll call him Michael. Um, I once wrote a check to the American Nazi Party. Why would a guy named John Goldman write a check to the Nazi Party? <laughs> Don't hang up now if you're Equal listening. Opportunity you guy? Stop because you got to hear the end of the story. I wrote a check to the Nazi Party to counterbalance the other check that I also wrote to the United Cerebral Palsy. However, neither of these checks I was going to mail. I had a client who I was working with. And this is the, this piece is so, so important. He was really responsible. 
And he was uber responsible like Daniel. He had a very large company that was growing and growing and growing. He would get up at four o'clock in the morning and go in to set up all his guys to go for the day. And he would set up the, he would set up the team to go out. And I can't say who his name is, um, but I would say that he won one of the contracts that has to do with the Super Bowl and really smart, talented guy. And he also had a kid with cerebral palsy. And really, he didn't spend time with his kid as much as he wanted to. And he was work, work, work. But the truth is, he loved his wife and his wife loved him. And he wanted to spend time, but he wasn't quite sure how to do it. So I said the sword of accountability was the next thing that would be necessary for Daniel and for all of us if you want to make the shift of instead of being a doer to being a owner. If you want to build a freedom team and a freedom system, if you want to increase asset ability, and if you want to be able to manage upper jumping monkeys, so then you have to actually start to create accountability. And accountability has a sword that goes up and goes down. The sword of counting, everyone knows, goes down. It's like, I'm going to hold you, those external jumping monkeys, accountable. And so here's what your here's what your KPIs are, your key performance indicators. Here's how I'm going to evaluate you. But also goes up. Also goes up. Meaning I need to be held accountable. So the problem that so many owners have, Umar, is that they're not prepared or willing to be held accountable. And so what we did with this fellow was I said to him, look, um, we got to put some teeth in this. You know, what's one thing that you and I would both hate to do? I would hate to send a check to the Nazi party. So you and I are both going to write a check to the Nazi party. I'm going to hold on to it. And what's one thing that we really love is to give a check to the United Cerebral Palsy. Um, and so here's the deal, is that you and I have agreed now that you need to be done by six. Well, what is six? We defined specifically what six means. Six means that you stop working by six, not that you're home by six, and that between six and six, 6.15, you leave. And sometimes it happens. If you can't, you simply call your wife and say, I can't. Obviously, that, that becomes the, the norm instead of the exception, so we're in trouble. And so we agreed to it. We enrolled his wife. We enrolled his employees. We got my team enrolled. And so we were checking with this guy for months on a regular basis to make sure that he would check in. So now, at the end of these uh, three, two, three months, I don't remember exactly what it was, um, do you think that he made the shift that was deeply embedded in him about being uber responsible and getting up early and instead of staying, working till late at night and getting up early? Do you think he made the shift or you think he reverted back to his own old way? There's no way in the I world I was going to send a check to the Nazi party. <laughs> so I could not let him fail, nor could he fail. And I've done this so many times with so many people. And, um, and I've seen uh, remarkable things happen. So the sort of accountability means that he needs to be held accountable. And, um, and then also we need to hold others accountable. And so that's one of the most important things in terms of accountability is identify and find someone who is compassionate who is ruthless and consistent that can help hold you accountable. In my business, we, that's what we do is I have a whole team of coaches and mentors and, consult and consultants that work with our clients and we hold them accountable to that which they feel is most important to them. No one's laying a trip on them. And when you find someone like that and you have an accountability relationship, that's fantastic. So he was then held accountable. And Brilliant. then we also held hold his team accountable. And I've seen this happen. I could also share with you one that there's a fantastic turnaround, Jeff Jeffrey. Um, 
in this piece of accountability. So Jeff Jeffrey is a really beautiful and interesting guy. He owns a company in Chicago called Ermco. And Ermco, it's they it's a bizarre company. They sell um, lubricants. It's metal lubricants. Like if, let's say you make you make cars, and um, in order to in order to make the in order to make the cars, so you have to um, you have to have lubrication in the machines. And oil based lubricants are really messy. He has something called water water based lubricants. Um, not so relevant to our conversation, but what is relevant is that um, one of the things that he struggled with was internal upper jumping monkeys and external upper jumping monkeys. And so what happened, um, to make a long story short about him, was that he was one of the nicest guys in the world. And he really didn't want to, um, he really didn't want to be held accountable or hold other people accountable so much because of the next concept, courageous conversations. So the only way you're going to be able to do this right. is to be able to have a courageous conversation and create a safe space. And so he really didn't like, um, he, he liked to be liked, like the rest of us, I love being liked, and he didn't like facing discomfort or confrontation. So he had to have a conversation with his mother, where who because he inherited the business, but he's charging it, with his brother who was in the business, who ultimately had to let go of, with his executive team, uh, both up and also down, with other team members, also prospects and current customers. When he starts to master this, an amazing thing happened. So what happened was he was now willing to use this sort of accountability up and down and willing to create a safe space and having a courageous conversation about himself, which required being real and honest, transparent, willing to face the hard stuff. And what happened was his company had been in business for over a hundred years. Do you want to hear the results or do you have any questions about it before I tell you the results? <laughs> tell us the results, Mr. Jeff Jeffrey, uh, and the company was called Ermco. And um, yes. not long ago, he called and said, you know, I'm, he was crying. Why was he crying? He said, I'm sitting at a gas station outside of a prospect. And it's unbelievable. I just received a phone call for someone who wants us to do this partnership. I don't want to get into what it was. And I'm getting calls from all over the world. And I just built my dream house. And my team, my team is, the company is no longer dependent on me. I have more freedom than I've had. I have more well-being than I ever had. And our sales have increased at 100% after being in business for over 100 years in the last four years which is amazing. They had a, in the last two years, they had a 400% increase in the bonuses that they paid out to their people because he started to believe in them. Remember we spoke about believing in people and the Pygmalion effect, he started to believe in them and they started to have courageous conversations and they started to rise to the occasion and he let his ego go instead of his ego as amigo and instead of being a cop, he moved from cop to coach. And <clears throat> In doing so, he also was able to then obtain the two largest accounts that they've been calling over for over 50 years because he had a courageous conversation and said, look, some will, some won't, so what next? Either if you think we're good, so great, let's move forward. And if not, so let's do it as well. But I, I need to be really in integrity with you and have a courageous conversation. Whoa, they really respect it. And he, he was so in the zone. And now he's number one in the entire industry in what they do. To me, because they were able to focus on this one component 
of courageous conversations. And anyone that wants, we can give a link on how do you have courageous conversations, especially if you don't, if you like to avoid conflict or you're worried about being liked or this sort of thing. Um, so that is what created this entire turnaround from 100% sales after a 100-year-old company. So, John, you've got a ton of knowledge to share. How can people get a hold of you and access some of these uh, tools and so, uh, uh, get a on your calendar? Of simple ways. Number one is you can go to getmythrivescore.com and you can also contact us at brandlauncher.com, B R E N D L A U N C H L A A L A U N C H E R. Com. And uh, you can also call our office and set a time just to talk. Um, they'll see if, if who will be the right person to help you, whether it's me or someone else. And that phone number is 410-235-7070. That's 410-235-7070. And um, although I don't think that we have enough time, I could also share with you uh, what I would call a coaching card, which is how to shift from being a cop to a coach and allow you the last way that you can actually learn how to manage upper jumping monkeys so that you yourself can produce more sales, you can thrive more, you can build up the people around you, and you can actually have a company that's more of an asset as opposed to a glorified job. John, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I learned a lot. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So um, I look forward to speaking to you. And anyone that wants that coaching card can contact us there and just let us know by coaching card. And also we'll put the link on with the information you put up. Thank you so much, Umar. I love the fact that you're giving so much value to your uh, listeners. And thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that people are smart enough to listen to every word you say because you have so much insight. I personally love listening to your stuff. And I listen to it again and again with a pen and paper. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 